Do you want to start a thriving real estate career, but don't know where and how to start? Do you want to become a successful realtor or investor, but lack the required knowledge and skills? Gear yourself up with the best and actionable advice here on The Real Estate Rundown. Tune in as Shannon Robnett talks with industry veterans about all kinds of asset classes, market trends, challenges, management techniques, and success stories. Listen to informative discussions with valuable tips that will serve as the foundation for your incredible real estate venture. Now, here's your host, Shannon Robnett. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 273 of The Real Estate Rundown. You're going to want to tune in for this episode because I'm going to interview probably one of the most prolific podcasters, a guy that's been doing this podcast daily for three years. And in that, guys, you're going to learn some secrets about what to do and what not to do about how to raise capital, how to meet people, how to influence that, how to get things going in your business when nothing seems to be working. So guys, you're going to want to tune back in to the Real Estate Rundown as I talk with my friend, Whitney Sewell. Hey guys, welcome back to the Real Estate Rundown. This is episode 273. I have the pleasure of interviewing today a friend of mine, Whitney Sewell. Good morning, Whitney. How are you? I am excellent, Shannon. Pleasure to be here. You know, it's been a while since we talked. We both operate in the market doing a lot of the same things, but you have been doing a podcast now. How long? I think we're at like a thousand... 40 or 50 days, maybe 1,070 days. Now, I can't remember exactly, but almost 1,100 days straight every day. That is amazing. And it's a daily podcast. How do you how do you come up with guests? I mean, you know, 1,100 different guests. That's a lot. It is a lot. We do have some repeat guests, depending on who they are, you know, the topics that they bring, things like that. But yes, uh, you know, probably a 1,000 of them are, you know, 1,000 different guests. And it's nearly been a full-time job. I've always had a team though. I built a team from the very beginning. Happy to get into that. But, you know, doing a daily show, I knew that I could not produce the show. If I had done a weekly show, Shannon, I know that I would have said, you know what? I can learn to edit the audio. I'll save a little money there. I can learn to edit the video. I'll make sure, you know, I'll get that done. And I know that I would have gotten behind, gotten frustrated, probably quit. Uh, But doing committing, I call it overcommitting since I overcommitted really and said, you know what? I'm going to do seven days a week. I knew from the beginning I had to build the team. And so I just built processes and said, this is what I need you to do. Hired virtual assistants from all over the world, you know, for numerous different tasks that had to be done. Uh, And then I had somebody, I laid out specific things that I needed them to do to find good guests for the show. I'm proud to say that I was one of your guests, but I am a little perplexed. I've only been invited once. So I don't know if that was, if it was, (laughs) was that just not, I'm kidding. But why did you do this? I mean, why did you set out to do a daily podcast? What motivated you to do that? (laughs) <laughs> That's a good question. Sometimes I wonder too. <laughs> I mean, I guess I put too much emphasis on the, why did you do that? <laughs> yeah. I get that question often and like, you know, was it worth it? All those things. And at the time, you know, I had a great mentor and ultimately, you know, he did the same thing. He had done the same thing. And I said, you know what, if and see how well it worked, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. Let's get started and just make it happen. It was almost that simple. I knew it could work. And I just said, let's just do it. We'll all figure it out. So what was the goal behind doing the daily podcast? What was the end result? 
So the end result was obviously the branding, getting our name out there, the associated credibility with all these guests and really building a network, right? You know, you can imagine, you know, doing a weekly show versus doing a daily show that's seven times as many people, you know, per week that I'm meeting, that I'm connecting with. I mean, people just like yourself, you know, that's been doing this for a long time, you know, very experienced. I didn't know you, Shannon, before I had you on the show. Right. You know, so that was, I mean, it is a massive just networking opportunity, right? It's a way for me to meet, you know, just experts like yourself and get to connect, you know, otherwise, you know, if I just called you up, it'd be hard to, you know, make that happen, right? It'd be hard to connect and really get to know one another as opposed to, you know, what, what the podcast can do. Cause then as I build a following, I can add value to, to experts in our space as well. You know, as you're getting started, then eventually, you know, you learn a lot. I mean, after a thousand shows, I mean, it's been like my own university, right? And even then, as we're working on deals, guess what? What questions do you think I'm going to ask, you know, guests on the show if I know they have the answer, right? How did you do this, right? And it may be something I'm working on. So especially early on, it's just an amazing learning tool as well. And when I can ask 12 to 15, you know, talk to 12 to 15 experts in one day, I mean, how often do you get to do that? Right. So we kind of talked about this a little bit in the pre-show, but how many episodes did you have under your belt before you really started to see fruit. I was just speaking at a large event this actually Monday, Tuesday of this week. And somebody said like, how long should I do this? You know, how long till, you know, it's going to work all these things. And I tell everyone like it plan to do it for at least a year before you see any fruit from it. I mean, a year, I hope it happens in six months, but plan to do it for at least a year before you see any fruit. And people see it's the consistency over a long period of time, you know, where, I mean, you know, listeners start tuning in more often and they can just count on it, count on your show, count on the type of show. They start to just learn who you are, you know, as the host and get more involved. It takes time to build that type of following and really loyalty to your show. Well, you know, the reality is too, I mean, you're trying to talk to an audience that you want to invest in your deals and you're talking about a five to seven year window and they're looking at you going, well, he's been consistent with 700, 800, 900 episodes. I guess I can probably trust him with my money. It kind of builds that credibility through the other side of that. But what was the first example that you saw of doing this podcast and actually seeing what was the first fruit that you saw and went, wow, this is really going to work? Yeah. You know, it was probably the example I gave to this individual over the last couple of days. I said, you know, it was probably like three to 400 shows in. And so you can imagine, you know, a year in, you know, this kind of workload, it was quite intense for my wife and I, you know, just the whole family. At the, I was still working full time, you know, when I started this, you know, I was a federal agent and doing the daily podcast, started doing deals. It was quite insane. And so to not have really any fruit to see and all this expense, I mean, if anybody's on a podcast, you know what it costs to do one show, multiply it times 30 a month. It was, I mean, just a massive expense. And so, you know, and even there, there were times the first year or so where it was like, I don't even know if we can afford to keep going the next month. <laughs> you know, right. the Lord would provide right. in big ways. I mean, it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm just made 10 grand here for this or 30, whatever, you know, and, and the Lord provided in so many ways right when we needed it. But some of the first things that started to happen was, you know, investor call after investor call where they would say, you know what, I've been listening to you for six months. I feel like I already know you. Right. you know, like that started happening over and over, Shannon, where I'm like, okay, it's hard to put a value on that at that moment. But I could start to see that, you know what, they do. They already feel like they know me. And there's so much value in that. I get on an investor call that, you know, it's like a 20-minute call. They talk for nearly the, t the whole 20 minutes. And then they say, oh, well, 
I didn't even get, you know, allow you to talk. And I'm like, that's okay. And, and then they say, well, but I feel like I already know you because I listen to you every day, I, you know, on my way to work or at the gym. And there's so much value in that, that you just can't put a dollar amount to. And I tell people, if you looked at a profit and loss statement for the podcast, You'd never start a podcast. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you, mind, you would never. <laughs> I mean, you would think I was crazy. But if you look at the whole picture of our brand and our business and how fast, you know, we've been able to grow, it's a no brainer. How fast have you been able to grow? Let's just ask that blunt question, right? I mean, you, yeah. you started this podcast 1100 episodes ago. That was really your whole advertising budget, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It was everything I could do to keep that going. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and I say that like, you know, that was your whole advertising budget, all your free time. It was every last nerve your wife had. I mean, it was more than just, you know, all you were doing. But what have you grown your brand into in just over three years? Yeah. You know, it's been incredible what the Lord has done. I mean, it, we went, Shannon, the first deal, first syndication, I'd done some small multifamily for, you know, since like 2009, but nothing to scale. 15 unit was like the largest. And even at that time I was like, well, wow, you know, we're really doing something. I had no idea that I could go buy a hundred unit complex and would have laughed at you if you'd have told me, you know, a few years back that I could do something like that. And so, you know, at that time, Hired a mentor. Hey, I partnered on like two projects. The first project, I raised $250,000. And I was excited about that. I, I did not come from wealth, from any money. You know, none of my family invested in that deal. No friends. I had no friends or family that were accredited. You know, so that was all from me networking as hard as I could go, as many conferences as I could go to. It took me many weeks to raise that $250,000. I think the next deal I raised, you know, around four hundred seventy-five to 500000 you know, obviously I was excited about that, that we nearly doubled. The next deal was like 1.2 million. The next one was like 2.5 to three. And then it was, then, I mean, the last probably six or seven raises, you know, have been like 10 to $12 million raises. And the first four of, of those six filled up in probably eight to 10 hours. And the last two or three have filled up in like three to four hours. Yeah. So if you can just imagine that over a few years time, I mean, there's a lot more work behind making that happen, but obviously the podcast is a, a big initial, you know, first connection to many investors. Well, and you know, I see a lot of the similarities there because, I, you know, when I have the investor call, it is that they know you, right? They know the kind of question, oh, Whitney, I know you're going to ask this kind of question and I know you're going to have this kind of guest and I know that I can get this kind of quality information. And it also shows your connection with others in the industry and the reliability of the information that you're giving because it's being validated by other experts all over. And I've seen some of the same things. And my story is kind of similar to yours. I've got the long construction background, right? As everybody knows, but I've seen where the same thing has happened. I sweat and bullets on the first race. And then the second race is twice that. And now I'm looking for more deal. One minute I got too much deal. The next minute I got too much investor money coming in and you're back and forth between the two. How do you balance that in the world that we live in with there's not deals around every corner like there was in 2012? Yeah, it is difficult. No doubt about it. Uh, So we've had, I mean, we have wait lists for almost, I mean, for every project now, which is a blessing. I mean, I do not say that lightly. I know many operators that are struggling, you know, to raise money, even steal. And so it's definitely a blessing. But, you know, a couple of things that we've even done recently, you know, like we had a small project and we just sent it out to the wait list for the last few projects. 
you know, it's still filled up in just a few hours, but it's like, keep those people involved, right? As much as possible, you know, give them that opportunity. They're showing interest in you. They are wanting to invest with you. They already trust you. You know, they're wanting to get involved. And so, you know, we thought, you know what, this is a great way to allow those people that haven't been able to invest with us to give them first shot because they did show interest, but didn't get in in time, you know? So that was one way to, to kind of help the whole list, you know, of investors or some, you know, more to have an opportunity. And then in between deals, as you know, you know, there's, it comes in waves. It seems like the first half of this year, it was like nothing for us. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, there's like three projects happening and maybe another one. And it's, you know, so, you know, when that's happening, it's really about staying in front of them. I and mean, we just have many email campaigns and things like that. We've spent a ton of time on that helps educate our investors, you know, over a period of time. And so it's, we stay in front of them, but try not to bug them, you know, or nag them, of course. But when we do have an opportunity, one thing that's very helpful is that they know they just have a few hours typically. And so they do get signed up. I mean, and that's been very helpful, obviously, you know, over numerous deals for them to see, hey, you know, I'm sorry, but you may just have a few hours. So they know they have so, to get in there. So really you went from NOMO to FOMO, right? I mean, <laughs> you, know, you know, no family, no friends, nobody that you knew was investing until now you have everybody calling you going, I know I just saw the email. I'm not in a position to wire money right now. I'm at the gym, but I'll be back in an hour. Please save my spot. You know, they will, they'll call or they'll text me. They'll say, sign me up. I yep. can't get on there right now. Please yep. put me down, you know? And you know, what is it that you think is, is the number one ingredient that your investors have? I mean, what is the one thing that if there's a commonality between them all and why they're investing, what is that one thing, why they're investing with you? That's an excellent question. And I think there's numerous things, but one of the very first things is our mission, our why, you know, the way we give back. And that honestly was not, I didn't plan that in the beginning to be that way. And the Lord had a different plan in that. And even as I started networking as hard as I could go, you know, like four years ago, you know, I was going to every conference I possibly could for like two years and it was just madness. That was my whole goal is just meeting as many people as possible. And what I started to notice, Shannon, by sharing my mission first, I share this at conferences and speak now about this often because I've learned that it's so important. And this was before I ever read that, you know, the Simon Sinek book, Start With Why or any of those things. But I have seen that work in such a big way. And what I say is people, you know, you go to a conference, there's 300 people there, whatever, even if there's just 25 people there to meet up and you're all talking about real estate, how many people do you really remember after you leave? Especially say a week later, right? I mean, it's so difficult. However, you know, everybody says, hey, you know, hello, you know, nice to meet you, Whitney. What do you do? Right. Everybody says, oh, what do you do? Uh, you know, if it's the first time you've met, you know, and I would mention something like, well, my wife and I have started a foundation that helps children to be adopted, helps families with that financial burden. And we do that through our commercial real estate business. So investors get the amazing returns and tax benefits of owning real estate passively, but also helping us save lives, you know, of children and, and helping these families. I, I was going to wonder just, how long you were going to make us wait for you to give that mission statement. So, so thank you for that. It's kind of like that joke of how do you keep an idiot in the dark? You know, I'll tell you tomorrow, but you finally dropped it on us. So I, I didn't have to, because I, I know that you're involved with that, right? But how did that lead you to then have that further interaction with people? Yeah. So great question. But you can imagine if you're at a conference, you're all talking about real estate, you know, you're meeting all these people, right? You have this real estate conversation here, this real estate conversation here, this one, I mean, you know, 10, 15 of those, whatever. Then all of a sudden somebody says something like that. I mean, it's like, 
what, you know, what did he just, what was that? You know? And so instantly the conversation is very different. Right. And right. so immediately it's like, what was that? Tell me about the foundation. How's that connected? You know, your real estate business and about investors. So just totally different questions than, than you would normally get from that same individual that you just met. Right. And right. it's even deeper than that, Shannon. And what I tell people is that, you know, everybody's heard the no like, and trust, right? Everybody, you know, you gotta have the no like, and trust from your investor, but I always say there's one thing that's missing. And that one thing is loyalty. And right. when you can build loyalty, I mean, your investors, I mean, it doesn't matter what your brand is, what your company is, you need loyalty from your customers, right? And our customers are investors, they're our partners. And when they have that loyalty, like they want to see you succeed. It's a very different thing. Man. Like they'll hold their capital just to invest with you because they want to be involved in this other thing. And believe it or not, investors and your team want something more than just financial gain. True. And when you can provide some means of that, it is a very different relationship. I mean, for your team as well. Like they love, everybody's got to, wants to make an honest living, right? And we want them to make better than that. And our investors too. However, it's a very different relationship. There's a different connection that's made when you can build that loyalty. One example I'll give quickly is like Apple. People are crazy about Apple products, right? If you either love them or hate them almost. Uh, and, and people that love them, they don't care what the device is. They assume that it is the best if it has that brand on there, right. whatever it is, right? I mean, and that is such a loyalty. I mean, people tattoo Harley Davidson on their arm or their back, or, I mean, think about that loyalty. They're probably going to own a Harley Davidson the rest of their life. And they're going to try to take their shirt off and all their buddies see their, you know, their Harley Davidson tattoo. I mean, that is, is such brand loyalty that you just, it's hard to get, but that's what it, you need. Did you want to show us your Harley Davidson tattoo? I'll show you my Lackbridge <laughs> Capital tattoo. About that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Perfect. You know, and Whitney, you hit on something there that, that is true that, that we've seen as well is that people want to do business with those that they know, like, and trust, but there has to be that something else, right? Yeah. And I think that a lot of people, you know, look at that and they miss that part. When they're out there, they're trying to, you know, we're just like these guys. We're just as big as these guys. We're just as awesome as these guys. And there's really kind of that differentiation of where are you making yourself different? Where are you? You know, I recently saw Jesse Itzler in person and he gave his Why My Brownies Better speech. And it really kind of hinted at that exact same thing. And if you haven't seen it, find him on YouTube. It's a phenomenal speech, but it's Why Is My Brownie Better? And it talks about what is different about you. You know, so often we go to the pitch or we go to speak to someone about what we're doing that is just like everybody else and this and that, but we don't really distinguish ourselves. And I love the fact that you've done that in a way that is of service. It's a way to truly make a difference in someone's life that will never, ever be the same. I mean, truly, right? I mean, you're talking about adoption. You're talking about giving them a forever home. You're talking right. about people that are wanting children that are getting something that, that for whatever reason, they can't have. And, and you're changing lives and you figured out a way to be able to do that and link that with business. So that's why your brownie's better, right? And it's amazing, though, what that does for your loyalty, right? I mean, what that does for your clientele, because now they can associate that with you. And that's such an amazing point that a lot of people miss is they get so caught up in the, I got to be like everybody else. Actually, I know this guy named Whitney. Well, he's like me because we both have names that really, I mean, Whitney and Shannon, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> I did not I can, think about that. Until now. <laughs> I can joke about that with you. Right. Cause I mean, yes. it wasn't, 
I mean, Boy Named Sue was a song I knew well, right? <laughs> but I got back at my kids. I named my boys Devin and Taylor. So, so there you go. But here you are. You're differentiating yourself. What has that done for you when you're making that donation, when you're making that end result possible? What has that done for your brand? You know, it has been an incredible ride. Obviously, we didn't have the funds to donate and didn't have donors, you know, for a long time, right? And so it was just a dream for the first couple of years, really. And finally, we applied, we got the foundation started, then it still took six months to get approved. But finally, you know, once we had the donations and we were able to connect with the first three families and talk to them through Zoom and share with them that the LifeBridge Foundation was going to partner with them. And, and when I say partner, and I mean in a very big way, when you're trying to raise, you know, you're a family, let's say you're making $40,000, $50,000 a year as a household, and you're trying to raise $50,000 for your adoption, you know, you just think about that mindset of that individual. It just seems like, how in the world could we do this? That's, that's more than I make in a year. And that's what we hear often from couples, you know, that want to adopt, but it's like, it just seems impossible, right, right? To come up with that kind of money. So we partner with them in a very big way, you know, to help them commit to bringing their child home through adoption. We help them with fundraising ideas and even and even help them to use this as even a matching grant. And so that way, you know, it encourages their fundraising abilities yeah. in a big way. But getting to play just that little bitty role, I mean, we're so thankful the Lord has done this in our business and our foundation. It's just amazing to see, but to see them light up to see them like, oh my goodness, you know, we can do this now and to move forward. It's just been incredible. Yeah. It's been more than worth it. Yeah. You know, and I know the power of adoption and I, you know, my, I have a sister that's adopted. And so I know what that's like, and I know the life-changing experience that that has been for her. Right. And so I've seen how that's happened. I have friends that have adopted and I know that that was a sacrifice for them to get there, to be able to come to that. I didn't know the costs involved because I hadn't, you know, I, I didn't, I haven't been involved in that side of it. But how is it that your investors, are you getting comments back from them about how I would think that they would be curious about, hey, you know, how much is LifeBridge done? Are they asking direct questions in pertinence to that? You know, I, I expected it. And like I've told my bookkeeper and stuff, I want the books to be like immaculate because I, I know people are going to ask and I want to be able to say, hey, here you go. You know, like here's what's happening, you know, those things. But I really haven't. We have had people that, that want to partner like because they love the way we're giving back. You know, they want to be a part of that. But there hasn't really been questions about the foundation or, you know, how much is really being given. And I mean, we're, we're putting it on the website now is, you know, as we're partnering with families, it's pretty obvious, you know, that, hey, family after family, you know, we're helping. Right. So I hope that it's obvious, you know, that it, it is really happening. Yeah. Well, and that's just always, you know, the curiosity because, you know, as people that are living our lives on screen, literally, I've, half the time I feel like I'm on the Truman Show, you know, because I mean, you do, you're living it out there and, and really wanting to know, you know, what that is because making a difference is really, you know, what you want to do. I mean, we get one trip around this planet, you know, we're here to learn lessons and do things and, but more than anything to make a difference in other people's lives. And it's awesome to see that you're doing that. When you're looking at the way that you view business, because I see you as kind of a person that, that likes to combine business and a mission. In fact, you, you already told us that. So when you're looking at, do you apply that to how you hire people, how you bring people on in your business? Is that part of what you're looking at? Or are you just looking at it that, hey, I'm looking to hire people and we're here to do a job and that's all we focus on is the work? That is an interesting question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that before as far as thinking I, I was about hoping the mission. I'd get one. 
the guy that's done 1100 podcast or almost 1100. I mean, I'm sure you've done just about every question. So, you know, I tried when we're looking for team members, which we've grown a lot, uh, you know, more employees now than we've ever had. And I mean, I've had to, I've tried to be extremely intentional about finding class A talent, right? I mean, you know, just some of the best of the best because it's because when you're first starting, you don't want to make a mistake, right? With the wrong assistant really, or the wrong asset manager, or, you know, I mean, it is so crucial that you find, you know, good team members or business partners or whatever. You know, there were key things that were very important to me. And honestly, you know, someone's I want us to be on the same page about numerous things, but but really their drive, their ability, their desire to learn is so much more important to me than almost some of their skill sets, right? Like I'll train you or I'll hire somebody to train you as long as you have the drive and the stamina and wanting to push forward almost some entrepreneurial ability, you know, in you. It was so important, but a big part of even our job description talks about our mission, right? So we don't hold back on that. You know, it's obvious to that new potential employee that, hey, this is what we stand for. This is our mission. It doesn't affect your job at all, you know, but you know, most of them love playing a role in that. And they'll chip in here and there for the foundation, you know, as far as, you know, doing a little work, my assistant practically built the website for the foundation. So, you know, it's just like different abilities that they have that they chip in and they love being a part of that as well. You know, it's great to hear you say that it's more about heart and you know, drive and things like that, because I've heard it often. And I thought they were just saying it in reference to me that a trained monkey could do my job. And I got offended by that. And then I realized that if you've got good people, they've got the drive and they've got the passion and they've got the desire to make things, you know, make them become reality, then a trained monkey can, if they have those things, because what we do is not easy, but it's not impossible. It's not that difficult. If you know what you're doing, speaking of knowing what you're doing, Whitney, how did you, I mean, you mentioned that you went to a lot of conferences, but how did you get the expertise to know what kind of personnel and talent that you needed? How were you able to see what was in front of you to know what you needed to hire? Yeah, great question. And that's been a definitely a growing experience. One book I'll recommend though, right off the bat is Top Grading by Bradford Smart. I know I've got it behind me, but I went through that book and that book, you, you read that, it's on Audible as well, but get the hard copy. There's a few different versions. There's an older version that has a lot more in it. Just so you know, I can't remember the exact version, but man, you're going to hire somebody, look up Top Grading. And I've done numerous shows personally, just talking about the method that I used to hire my assistant. And we had like 700 applicants or something. And I narrowed it down to four interviews, you know, through different types of tasks, different things I asked them to do. And, but those four interviews were like four hours long each. Wow. Okay. So, you know, that's grueling four hour interview. It is, it is grueling, but we just didn't want to make a mistake, right? And it was so worth going through that book. Honestly, probably used 30% of that or maybe 20%, you know, of that book. But it was so helpful, so helpful. So, you know, finding those people are difficult. We I sent out the, the same job description on Indeed. I also sent it out to my network. Had two different forms that were exactly alike through our CRM. So, but that way I could track where people were coming from, right? You know, and then as they came in, there were some specific things I asked them to do at the bottom of this. Or actually, there were four things. Two of them were mandatory. Two were optional. Give them a little bit of room there, right? For people right. to stand out. But the very first thing it was a 14-page questionnaire. I go through this entire questionnaire on a podcast. You can hear every word of it. But, you know, so who's going to fill that out? Not everybody, right? And people on Indeed or people wherever, if they're just hitting the apply button, they're not really checking out your job description, right? Uh, right. But the people that submit that, hey, they really do care probably about working for Look you. At- They've done some research, right? Because that's 
It's a lot of work, but we tell them exactly where to send it, exactly what to submit to us. And so it narrowed it down to about 30 people out of like 700 applicants. I mean, just immediately, right? I picked out like the top 12 and I called them out of the blue, no notice and said, hey, here's four tasks. I need you, you know, I'm Whitney Sewell. You know, you've been selected to go to the next round, whatever. Uh, But then there's four tasks I need completed by tomorrow afternoon. Uh, You know, and here they are. Thank you, right? And so- that narrowed it down to about eight people, I think. And that helped me to get to that final four interviews. You know, even that, they didn't have to do the perfect job answering those questions, but it allowed me to see just their attention to detail, uh, you know, the way they communicate, way they submitted things to me. Did they get it to me by the end of the day? Did they wait till midnight? Did they get it to me at all? You know, all those things. Did they even answer the phone? How did they answer the phone? All those things you're getting to see through that process and how they submitted those documents and, and just many questions I wouldn't have even thought to ask, even though I did investigations uh, on a federal level for a long time, there were questions on that questionnaire and through the interview process I wouldn't have even thought of that were very good. And so anyway, that's how we found just class A talent for my assistant recently. I think I probably scratched myself off the list. I don't think I would have made it, Whitney. I'm pretty <laughs> certain about page three of that questionnaire, I would have scrolled to the bottom and seen how many more pages were to go. But what was the number one thing you were looking for out of all of that? What was the number one thing you needed your assistant to be able to do? Effort as much as anything. I mean, effort. It would prove effort. Yeah. Like you've completed that. You've done it well. You could have even done it by hand, but hey, you did it as neat as you possibly could, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, but like you spent some effort. Yeah. I mean, I had people do it with a highlighter or do it just, you know, some just put no, they tried to do it. It was like, seriously, like you're applying for a position and you couldn't find a pen to use or use a marker instead, or, you know, just things, there'd be a few like that, but it just mm-hmm. sets people apart very quickly, sure. you know, depending on the role, right? You have to have a great job description. You need to know exactly what this person is going to do for you. And I think you ask about that a little bit, but, and I, I had to know that even as early as doing the podcast, I had to understand the podcast process and lay out exactly the team members that I needed, whether it's audio editing, video editing, copywriting for show notes, or, you know, posting at social media, you know, finding guests. I had to list all those things out and think, okay, you know, can somebody do two of those things? Or does this need to be a separate job? And then lay out a process and manage that and actually hire somebody to manage that process and ensure the team is functioning. We had two months worth of shows before we ever launched because I expected it to break down right at some point and we needed some buffer. But yeah, you worked for the federal government. Of course you expected it to break down. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's fine. So, you know, and how long has your assistant been with you now? She has been with me probably 10 months, eight or 10 months. And is it everything you thought it was going to be? She's doing great. I'm very pleased with her. Yeah, very pleased with her. Good, because that's a long process to put anybody through again. (laughs) I would also say, though, you know, I didn't start with that level of of assistance. I mean, I'm paying her as much as I was making at a J-O-B. You know, I mean, she is paid very well, but I expect that because I want that caliber and it's so worth it. You know, people want to find an assistant and pay them $20,000 a year. Well, guess what? You know, there's not many top-notch class A assistants that are going to work for that. They shouldn't work for that, you know, but I didn't start that way. My first assistant was like two hours a week and that lasted about two weeks. And then I needed eight hours, right? And then I needed 16. And then, you know, six months later, I had to have somebody full time, but it took, you know, I had to get started. Well, and that's, you know, I mean, two things come to mind. One, a workman is worthy of his hire, you know, and you get what you pay for, right? And if you combine those two and look at what you're trying to fill, the shoes that you're trying to fill, you know, we look the same way. We're looking for culture. We're looking for a fit. I'm going to introduce the 14 page questionnaire. So I'm going to go find that podcast and I'm going to lay that on, on uh, the next person that we're looking to, to get. But when you're looking for 
your podcast guests. How do you find them? Is that another 14 page questionnaire? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to implement that now. Yeah, uh, definitely not. Uh, you know, early on, I mean, ultimately I laid out a process, you know, for this individual, this virtual assistant, hey, go to these other podcasts or LinkedIn, you know, and do a search, you know, for these things, find that guest, find their information. We built a template. I mean, we automated that process to death. You can imagine doing 30 shows a month. I mean, there was a time I was doing 12 to 15 shows in one day at one time. You know, so I did not have time to mess around. I did not have time to fix somebody's mic before the show. I needed them to show up prepared. And so we just automated, automated, automated. And, you know, until like we can just really pull out so much. But when somebody apply, they can apply on the website that does go to my production manager. Uh, and then, you know, she kind of vets them a little bit. She'll send them an invitation to be on the show. And from there on, it's completely automated. Even them submitting their bio, their headshot, they do that through our form that we send them. And then she gets that. And I, I do nothing but the interview. I mean, since the very beginning, I mean, I mean, that's all I've done. I've never edited the first piece of audio or video. And neither have I. That's why it works. The part that I know not to do to keep it from breaking down, right? That's right. <laughs> so what has your podcast taught you about being a better syndicator? So many things. It has pushed me in ways. Maybe we talked about it briefly beforehand, but I call it overcommitting. You know, like by overcommitting, Shannon, it has pushed me in ways that I'd never been pushed before, right? I mean, I having to do seven days a week or, you know, doing those 12 to 15 interviews a day, my wife and I called it my marathon day. I would literally stand behind a desk like this for about 15 hours a day, nonstop. My office was in the basement and my wife would pack me lunch. You know, and so like in between shows, I'd have like two minutes. I would literally scarf down, you know, something, right? And just keep going and keep going. And that wouldn't even be the end of the day. Uh, but that's just what it took at that time to make it happen. So all that mindset stuff, I mean, I had to build a team from the very beginning. I learned so much from building, you know, that's that virtual assistant team from the very beginning and, you know, right. to what we have now. I mean, even speaking, you know, I never probably, you know, a year before I started the podcast, I'd never even heard of a podcast before. I didn't have a clue what a podcast was. Right. You, you know, know I, both, brother. I had no idea. And, you know, this come up and I'm like, podcast, what is that? And then some, you know, we're talking about me hosting a show. And I'm like, you're crazy. I don't know if I've ever spoken into a microphone before, uh, you know, I had no idea. And then it was just like, okay, hey, I can see this works. I'll push through that fear. I'm going to go. I got to be uncomfortable, right? Or for me to grow. I knew that. I, the first so many shows were horrible because of me, not because of the guests, you know, but I also knew that if I didn't get started, I'm never going to improve. Right. I know, you know, the first show, you know, wasn't even nothing compared to the 20th show. It wasn't anything compared to the hundredth or the five, you know, 500th or, but it has pushed me in so many ways, Shannon, not just the team alone, but even just speaking, right. It's allowed yeah. me to speak on stages. I never imagined in front of thousands of people. I just never imagined being able to do that. But then me being able to gather my story together and share it with those people. And then them come up and say, you know what? I've been listening to you for two years. I've been so inspired. You know, I love what you're doing. You know, this is what, you know, by listening to your show or listening to you speak this morning, this is what I'm going to do or what I have done, or, you know, you've inspired me in this way. That's just incredible. Well, and you know, I'm one of those guys, right? I mean, I was listening to your podcast. I don't listen to it every day, but I've listened to it enough and I've seen the dedication and, and how you've completed that task. And, and, you know, I was in a very similar situation where, you know, Valentine's Day 2020, I didn't have a social media account, not one, not a LinkedIn, not a, anything, let alone a podcast, let alone, you know, any of these other things. And, but I saw where people like you were doing it. And you were doing it well, and you had made that commitment and you had stayed with that commitment. 
You know, you and I spoke earlier before the show about what's some of the biggest differences between those that make it in the world and those that don't. And we discussed it's that commitment. I mean, 1,100, almost 1,100 shows in, you're committed. You're committed to the information. You're committed to the guests. You're committed to the process. And that out of that process, it's built a beautiful life. It's allowed you to achieve some of the goals that you had for yourself that's allowed your business to launch and to become well-known, very well-known because of that commitment. But we also talked about how that applies to everything in life, right? I mean, you know, and how often people fail to do that commitment. What was one of the challenging things where you thought, man, this isn't, I overcommitted and it's not worth it. I shouldn't have done this. Was there a time like that? Uh, I, I guess I should ask, was there a time? <laughs> you know, I would even say right before I launched, Shannon, I was trying to get this thing spooled up and I, you know, it just in the mode of getting launched. And I went to different conferences. That's when I was just networking. I was going to as many conferences as I possibly could, just learning as much as I possibly could. I had dinner with two different individuals that everybody listening would know in our industry. And I'd received, already received quite a bit of pushback, but just from military, law enforcement, all that stuff, I was like, nope, I can do it. I'm going to push through this. You know, just the mindset of never giving up. I was good with that. I was ready for, you know, people to criticize me, all those things. But these two individuals, just considering who they were, they said, Whitney, I was telling them about the daily podcast, right? And that they should be a guest. And, and they were like, Whitney, why would you do that? That's crazy. <laughs> you know? They had a valid point. You got to give them that though. I mean, that's a very valid point. It isn't a valid point, but I would also say, I would also say that did make me question it, right? Like just because of who these individuals were, I thought, wait a minute, maybe this is crazy. All right. So, but I said something to my mentor about it. And this is why I encourage you to have the right people on your, you know, even mentors, you know, say they're on your team, you know, just speaking into you. I said something to him about it. And he said, Whitney, that's, that's why you have to do it because it's too much work for most people. They're not going to do it, you know? So I was like, okay. I mean, that just pushed me right back on track. And I was just back motivated again. Okay, nope, I got this. You are right. We're going to go knock this out, right? We're going to figure it out. And that's ultimately what we had to do. And many other times, uh, you know, the, like we talked about the first year to two years, I mean, it was just very difficult. We sold our farm to be able to do this. We sold a house we, you know, had always wanted. A very difficult for my wife and I. I gave up another business and passion that I'd had since I was a little boy and uh, that I was doing very well at, but knew it was never going to be passive and to commit to commercial real estate. So that next couple of years, though, it was so intense for our family. My wife did everything in the home. I mean, I was in the house, but I was in the basement in our little office, you know, trying to make all this happen, you know, while my boys unfortunately knew that. And I don't even like to admit it, but they knew they wouldn't see me until Sunday, even though I'm in the house. They knew they wouldn't see me, you know, until maybe Saturday night, you know, or Sunday. But man, I just had to paint that vision for even, even our kids, you know, like where we're going, right. what we're doing. This is what's, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take, but we're going to get there, you know? Well, and that's where, you know, Whitney, a lot of people, we've become such a microwave society that a lot of people miss out on all the blessings and all the things that could be in their life because, they quit, whether it was school, whether it was a job, whether it was a relationship, all kinds of things people quit on. But really, honestly, Whitney, let me flip that around and go, of the people that you know, how many people are doing business on the level that you are? I don't know too many. And that is a fantastic way to leave this podcast with you guys. Here is a guy that has chosen to do what most people said was crazy. What most people said was not doable. Almost 1,100 podcasts later, here he is 
And he can honestly say he's done what most never thought was possible or worth doing. And he has almost no equal in his field. Thank you so much for that, Whitney. Thank you for being with us today, Whitney. I don't think we could have planned that to be ended any better than the way you just did that, my friend. That was amazing. And you are too. I mean, well, more importantly, Whitney, your wife is amazing for putting up with you. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I usually try to throw that in there in, a, in an episode because no doubt about it. Could yeah. not have done it without her. I mean, 110%. Right. And so with that, guys, thank you for joining us here at the Real Estate Rundown. As always, we try to bring you top-notch people like Whitney who are unparalleled at the top of their game. But don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the Real Estate Rundown, as well as Whitney's podcast at LifeBridge Capital. And find us on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts to get automatic updates. You'll also find us on Instagram and YouTube. We'd love to hear from you. And Whitney, thank you once again for joining us right here on the Real Estate Rundown. My pleasure, Shannon. Honored to be here and get to catch up with you again. All right, guys, tune in for episode 274 next time. I'm way behind, but I'm going to try and catch up to my friend, Whitney. Thank you again for joining us. That's a wrap for today's episode of The Real Estate Rundown. Let these newfound strategies pave the way to start a successful career or a profound rebranding. If you loved everything you have heard, listen to more conversations at www.shannonrobnett.com. And be sure to leave a rating, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Until the next episode.